Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. Well, welcome back to the X-Files. No, we started a series last week called Seven Words to the Church Today. And we're looking at the seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Apocalypse. Remember, we looked at that last week. Apocalypse really does not mean the end of the world in Greek. What it means is to reveal something, that something is uncovered. And we're looking at this revelation. Can I just put this in here right now, just a little tidbit of information? It is not the book of Revelations, plural. It is the Revelation, singular. Why? Because it is uncovering Jesus Christ. It is a revelation of Jesus that was shown to John who wrote it down and sent it in these seven letters to the churches. Now we're looking at seven churches and and you're thinking, well, why are we looking to seven churches from ancient days for today? Because, A, I think it has something to speak, each of these letters has something to say to us today, but there's something significant about the number seven when it comes to the book of Revelation. Seven deals with wholeness or completeness because God established and created all there is in those seven days. Uh, we see that as completeness. And John uses this very Jewish understanding to say that this is, yes, to seven churches, and I'm going to name seven specific churches, but this is about churches. The whole church. And we see something in each part and each week that we're going to go through this during the season of Epiphany. We will see what these letters have to say to the whole church today. So we'll look at that bit by bit. Now, something that's interesting, and right before we start reading, I want you to to notice something here. Every time that John begins to write down what Jesus is saying to the church... He begins with, not to the church of, but to the angel of the church of. That's that's always strange. It always kind of got me. I wasn't quite sure. What's that about? Now, the word for angel in Greek is the word angelos, and it simply means messenger. So in reading, there are some scholars who think that that's just a physical person. It's the pastor of that church in Ephesus. The problem is it seems to be that what the rest of what Jesus says deals with more than just one person. It kind of deals with the entire congregation. And so I'm not sure, I wasn't so certain, I didn't land there. Then there's the other side, the angel, and began to think of, you know, kind of, well, the angel Gabriel or Michael or the guardian angel or something, that this kind of disembodied spirit of, you know, the kind. But it, it seems like these letters, these things that Jesus asked John to write down to these churches deals with people, not with, my, you know, the archangel Michael or Gabriel or somebody like that. So what is going on? Well, I remember during a time when I was... Um, actually going through, as a congregation member, I was in seminary, and I had the awful tragedy of watching a wonderful church implode on itself. And I knew some things about, and I knew some of the previous pastors of this church, and I knew that the church had kind of always sent their pastor away, not with blessing, but burnout, exhausted, frustrated and angry. And I I was sitting in Vroman's bookstore on Colorado Boulevard in Pasadena where the Rose Parade goes down every year. Hope you got to watch it this year. It was pretty fun. I was sitting there and I was sitting in the religion section and I just happened to catch, my eye happened to catch this book by Walter Wink called The Powers That Be. And in that, he begins to look at this. And I think he's on to something. 
Because he begins to say that rather than it being just about the pastor, or rather than it being about some angel from heaven, that really what is being talked about in this is the personality or the ethos of a congregation. That if real change is going to happen, it has to happen at the deep personal level of the organization. Now, you might think that sounds strange, but think about this. There is something that you expect. You may not even be aware of it, but when you walk into a Starbucks, you know what you're getting. I mean, when, and it's not just coffee. You're getting an experience, aren't you? You're getting, you know, it's familiar. Lori and I, when we lived in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and it, you know, this time of year was dark at 3.30 in the, in the afternoon, and the sun didn't come up until 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, and you, you, you just were missing home, and you were missing people, and you were missing the United States, and what did you do? You go into Starbucks, because it just feels like home, right? That's the personality, that's the ethos of Starbucks. And what Jesus, I think, is, is, is getting and what Walt Wink begins to describe is that there is an ethos to a congregation. And there is an, an angel, and he uses this understanding to say, we need to speak to, we need to call out, we need to talk about, and maybe even repent about whatever the personality or the ethos or the angel of the congregation has become. And let's remember, he's the one right before him who says, who are the angels? The stars in his hand. So Jesus holds in his right hand the personality of what the whole church should be. And this is what this is revealing to us, apocalypsing to us in this moment. So these seven congregations... Seven congregational personalities we'll begin looking at. And the first is the angel, the personality, the ethos of the church of Ephesus. So would you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We're going to read from verses 1 through verse 7. And this is Jesus' words to the church. So would you stand in honor and reverence of the words of Jesus to us and to the church of Ephesus long ago? Hear the word of the Lord to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Remember those seven stars? Verse chapter 1 verse 17, they are the angels of the church. He holds them in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. I know you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Do you remember what a lampstand is? Lampstand, again, chapter 1, verse 17. The lampstand represents the church. I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this is to your credit, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. This is the word of God to the people of God. And our response is, thanks be to God. You may be seated. When I was in university at Trevecca Nazarene University in Nashville, Tennessee, 
I had the privilege to travel on what we called a PR group, public relations group. And we were sent out. It was a scholarship group. I was sent out in a vocal group uh, to go out to churches all through the southeastern region of the United States to sing and to minister, to build relationship with high school students. And, and I really loved this. And there were many churches that I got to visit. And some, you know, were just, you remember them because you had great experiences. There were great worship services. Some you remembered uh, building a relationship with a, a young person and then getting to see them come to the university the next year. Uh, some, let's just be honest, some you remember because you had pretty crazy uh, uh, housing options um, and or and or meals or potlucks. Uh, you know, I, I, one of the guys in the group was a vegetarian way back before vegetarians were cool. And he's like, the South, I don't understand it. They put meat in their vegetables. I can only eat potato chips when we go on these things. But this one, unfortunately, I remember because of a very odd, painful And still to this day, frustrates me. We were at a a small neighborhood church, and they had a youth pastor, and the youth pastor wanted us to come, and we were going to hang out with the kids outside. It was it was near summertime, so we could do that. And we were hanging outside, playing basketball, playing dodgeball, all kinds of stuff. And the kids of the neighborhood were all involved, and they were there. And then we were going to sing, and then we were going to, he was going to give a short talk. And, and then we were all going to go into the church, uh, the fellowship hall, and we were going to have pizza. And it was just, I mean, at first it was just beautiful. It was just fun to watch all of this happen. And then he said, okay, it's time to go in for pizza. You all are welcome to come. And the hungry kids and teenagers were excited to to come in and have some pizza. And as we were walking across the parking lot to go in the side door of the church, you hear the front door of the church slam open wide. And out comes who I found out later was the pastor. And he begins to berate some of the uh, young women who were wearing knee-length Scorts. I guess it was, you know, out of bounds because it was split in the middle. But he told them they were going to have to go home if they were going to come into the house of God. And they needed a change and they needed to not look like something that rhymes with doors. And they put their heads down in what I can only interpret as shame. And slowly began to walk off the church property. Inside me, I was so angry that somebody would come out and do this to just some kids who were maybe experiencing Jesus for the first time and going to eat some pizza together. I talked with a youth pastor. He said, yeah, this happens a lot. He said, I'm I'm actually looking elsewhere because I can't love these kids when this kind of shaming boundary is thrown down in front of them Every day. He said, it's like he's beating them up with his boundaries. Have you been there? Have you ever experienced this kind of boundary? I think when we begin to look at the church in Ephesus, we're going to see something about this that's going to call some things out. And something that we really need to look at. I think Ephesus was beginning to experience something like this. So I need to let you know a little bit about Ephesus. Ephesus was a grand city in its day. It was on the coast of what now today is called Turkey. And it was a major seaport and river port. The river flowed through out into a bay that was easy to get. And so there were also some roads that went there through there, some of the Roman roads. And so this was a major hub of commerce and trade and economics. It was probably at the time the fourth or fifth largest city in the world. So there was There were tons of change that happened. All kinds of people went in and out of these ports. But it was also always in flux. You see, the silt from the river would would fill in the bay. And slowly, the bay would retreat. 
In fact, today, where that city is located, the ancient city of Ephesus is actually five miles from the coast. Because silt has filled in all of that. So they were always in flux, always having to change. It was also a center of religious worship for the Roman people who lived there. And so the the temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the world. And it was very imposing. And if you want to see what was blistering and blustering through all of that and how zealous they were for the goddess Artemis, uh, you can read in Acts 19 about how they even get upset with Paul for the church that he founded or that he built up there. John founded it, but Paul saw an increase there. So you begin to see all the change and the flux of what was happening. It was also a center of politics outside of Rome itself. It was a great center for something that was coming on the scene. And that was worshiping Caesar, the emperor, as a god. And so they had been given money because they were so zealous for Caesar and for worshiping him and worshiping the spirit of of Rome, of their kingdom, of their nation, that they were given money to build temples temples to Caesar and they were involved in all of that so with all of this change geographically under your feet economics people coming people going uh, with all that's happening in the religious life of this this culture and in the religious life and the political life of this culture something that wants to happen is the church wants some certainty I don't know any church like that today. Begin to see all of this. And the church there was a good little church. It was. Paul had spent a lot of time there. And Paul had had deepened their faith, had had increased their number to the point where that's why the, the worshipers of Artemis were upset because many were converting to follow this Jesus. And yet, whenever there is change, whenever there are new people who come in and come out, there is a need to teach and there is a need to show, but there is a need for something else with all of that. And that's what we begin to look look at. The church was doing some things well. So let's look at that. Let's look at the things that the church was doing well. Verse verse 2. I know the works, your toil, and your patient endurance. You see, they were already, John, their founding pastor, had already been taken from them and exiled to Patmos. And now they were without that leadership. And things were going on, and Paul had been driven out of the city, and all that was going on there. And so they were hunkering down. They were patiently enduring some of the suffering that was beginning to happen, some of the persecution that was coming at them. They were beginning to close off, close ranks. Let's hold this together. Hold the line. He says there's patient endurance. But then he goes on and he praises them. He says, I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. Now, as I was working through my translation from Greek into English on this, I want to, I noticed something interesting. And there are a few uh, Bibles that translate it this way that I want you to look at that word tolerate. And here's your first Greek lesson of the day. Are you ready? You may want to exercise your mouth a little bit. Get it ready to speak. But that word for tolerate is the word bastasai. Let's say that together. Bastasai. Ready? One, two, three. Bastasai. Let's say it one more time. One, two, three. Bastasai. And one more time to try and get it deep in your subconscious. One, two, three. Bastasai. And Bastasai has the idea literally to take up with the hands in order to carry or bear. So when my son was young and he would come up to me like this, I would Bastasai. I would pick him up in order to carry him or bear him to wherever he needed to go. So Bastasai. Okay, so to pick up or to carry. The next word I found was was interesting. What we tra- uh, translate in many translations as evil ones is the word kakus. That's just fun to say, isn't it? Ready? One, two, three. Kakus. 
Let's say it one more time. One, two, three. Kakus. And kakus literally means evil or bad nature or not such as it ought to be. Can you tell I just copied this right out of the dictionary? It means evil, a bad nature, not such as it ought to be. It doesn't say anything about the ones who do evil. Uh, and so that ones is left out. So the Holman Christian Standard Bible and the New English Translation Bible, they translate this as you cannot tolerate evil. Not evil doers. This is going to be important here in just a second as we look through the rest of this. So hang with me. Just tuck that away in your memory or write that down. You cannot tolerate evil. Goes on. He then says, I know that you have tested. Remember, these are good things, right? These are things that that Jesus has for the church. He's like, these are good things. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. So how do you test a claim? Oh, well, here's your Greek word. You can say it. We'll just say it once. Ready? Epe radzo. Ready? One, two, three. Epe radzo. It's not epe. It's epe. Uh, epe is what you do online. Epe radzo. To try or to test. But how do you try or test? How do you epe radzo if an apostle is claiming to be an apostle of Jesus? You test an apostle by examining their teaching. And by examining if that teaching is lived out, and if that lived out teaching looks like Jesus. So it's not about necessarily the physical body, but it's about the teaching. Does it match up with Jesus? And when it, is it lived out? And if it's lived out, does it look like Jesus? Paul says, this is good, but maybe you see where I'm going here. Because these things, all of this is good. But. Did I get your attention there with the slide? But. There's always a but, isn't there? But. He says, there's something I have against you. I have this against you. You can, you can read this in your scriptures. Verse 4. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Now many of your translations will say you've abandoned your first love. And for many then that means, and it's not a bad translation, not a terrible translation. For many that means, oh, I need to return to my love for Jesus. Jesus needs to be the first central thing in my life. And that's, I mean, I just need to return to God. And, and if you do today is a good day to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is that for those of us who are religious folk and those of us who have boundaried ourselves off and those of us who have tested and tried, sometimes there's this tendency that we think it's just about Jesus and me. And so I really do think that it's a good translation to say you have abandoned the love you had at first. Does that include the love of Jesus? Yes. But how did Jesus say we are to love God? What are the greatest commandments? To love God with everything and to love your neighbor what? As yourself. He said these are the greatest commandments. So it is in loving your neighbor that you love God. In loving God it drives you to love your neighbor. Because of the love you've experienced. He says, this I have against you. You have abandoned. That word for abandoned, I'm not going to teach it to you, but it literally means you've sent it away. You've sent your first love away. You've, you've sent the love that you had at first. That love that, that welcomed people, that brought them in. Yes, that taught them with love, in a loving way. That, that, Put some boundaries, but had them there in love. You've, you've sent that away. And you're just left with the boundaries. You have boundaried your heart. And you are using them to beat up instead of build up. Oh. Do we need to hear that today? Is this for the church back then or the church now? So what is the remedy? What is the remedy for loveless boundaries? 
What are they? There are three actions. You can see them all in verse 5. And we're going to go through these pretty quickly. There's remember, repent, and redo. I switched that last one just so that they would all start with R. Isn't that great? That way you can remember them. Remember, repent, and redo. We've got some more Greek words to go. Remember, remember. What does remember mean? Because for us, it's just, oh, yeah, I remember I remembered to do something. I remembered my checklist. I remembered to get gas in the car. I remembered. It's something that we do with our minds. But the word in Greek for remember is mene manue. Isn't that fun? Dun, dun, na, na, na. Uh, sorry. Mene manue. Are you ready to say that? Ready? One, two, three. Mene manue. Let's say it one more time. One, two, three. Mene manue. And it does mean to remember or to recall to mind, but there's more experience to it. Literally from the Greek dictionary, it says to think of and to feel for a person or thing. So it's not just recalling that thing to your mind. It is recalling the emotion that is connected to it. It is connecting the heart with the memory and you feel for that person or that thing that you are remembering. I see this a lot in, in counseling when a couple will come in and they're just at loggerheads with each other and it just doesn't seem like anything will work. Sometimes, here's a, here's a counseling secret, sometimes I will pause, we'll take just a moment, and then I'll ask them this question. Tell me how you guys fell in love. And you'll see a little pause. And I wasn't here for that. I was here to win an argument. And you were supposed to be the deciding vote. But they begin to talk about and remember menomine. To remember the feelings they had when they first saw those blue eyes. When they first saw him walk into the room. And it was like everyone else faded away. They feel that. And Jesus is saying, you want to heal this wound. You want to to begin to have boundaries that include love, that return you to that first love, to the love you had at first. Then the first thing you need to do is to begin to remember, to think of, to feel for those people or for that thing in the past. Can you remember, Christian? The first time you experience the love of Jesus. My hunch is you can't remember the sermon that a pastor preached. My hunch is you can't remember the songs that were sung that day. But I bet your first experience is one of heartwarming and love. And you knew that the people there around you were accepting you. And you went and you said yes to Jesus. That's what we all need to keep hold of and remember and mene manue over and over again. Not just remember it so I can write it down in my calendar that I was saved on on October 13th and whatever year, but that I experience it and remember the love that I felt there. Because when I remember that, then I'm more likely to transmit it out to others. The remedy for loveless boundaries is to remember. Next, it says to repent. And this is an action. And we've, we've looked at this word over and over and over again. We think of repentance as something that I'm sorry for. And it does include that, but it's more than that. Literally, the word is metanoia. You've said that a bunch of times. You should, you should have that one memorized by now. Just, just saying. Just saying. 13 years together, I've probably said this to you at least 25 times. Metanoia, it means to turn around. It's not just that I remember and I experience the feelings of that memory, but then I turn towards the person. I can't tell you how many times when I've seen couples uh, and they're, they're at loggerheads and, and they don't even look at each other. And then when they start remembering and the feels begin to happen, it's almost, it's almost involuntary. They just start turning towards each other first it's like one knee and then another knee and then the shoulders and then the eyes and 
It just happens. There is a repentance that takes place right there as they are remembering what, what used to be when they are feeling the feelings of that person. They repent. They move towards. They turn 180 degrees towards one another. And Jesus says, if the church is going to be healed of its loveless boundaries, the personality needs to remember and feel that love they had at first from God and for others and repent, begin to turn towards God and towards others. And you can't have one without the other, church. You just can't. And then there's one last thing. You redo. Literally, Jesus says through John, do the works that you did before. Since I'm picking on couples, you know, if, if something that somebody's really angry at is that you leave your underwear on the floor all the time, you can remember that you love that person, you can feel all the feels, you can repent and turn towards them in that moment, but at some point you gotta start putting your underwear where it goes. In the dirty clothes, or in the clean laundry, place where you store them. You have to redo. So church, the call from Jesus on us is to look at the personality of who we are. Are we so concerned with being certain and boundaried off that we have begun to lose the love we had before for others and for God? Maybe it's time today for the Spirit to lead us in remembering. Not just to recall a date, but to recall and re-experience the experience. To feel it. To repent and turn towards God. And turn towards other people. And redo. Begin to do the things that we did before. There was a time when the church of the Nazarene intentionally chose the name Church of the Nazarene because Nazarenes in the Bible were nobodies. So we're literally the church of the nobodies. And we used to just be in the city center. And we used to have great worship services in Los Angeles. And we would all bring food so that if anybody was hungry, they could not just experience and hear about the bread of life, but they could actually get real bread to fill their real stomachs. Because love of God and love of people was together. And the leadership of the church brought together those in different professions. So if you needed legal help and you couldn't afford it, guess what? You could get it at church. And if you had a wound that wouldn't heal, guess what? There was a doctor there who could heal your physical body. Because to love people is to love God. And to love God is to love people. And it emerged because somebody, a guy by the name of Phineas Brzee and several others, remembered, had the feeling. And it drove them to repent and to redo the things that they read about in the book of Acts. This is where we're called, church. Now you may be thinking, okay, so is orthodoxy bad? Is it bad to have boundaries? I want you to hear me say this. It's being recorded. No. It's not bad to know what you believe. But if what you believe never allows you to love another human being or keep another human being out because they don't believe exactly like you believe, then it's then that Jesus sends a letter from him through John to you and to us to say, you've lost your first love, you've sent it away. And you need to remember, repent and redo I mean, just look at it. He, you know, if you want to say it's, it's bad, look at it. Verse 6. Yet this I give to your credit. So this is good. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. But look what it says. You, what? Hate the works of the Nicolaitans. It doesn't say you hate the Nicolaitans. You're probably all wondering, who are the Nicolaitans? Well, there's some big scholarly debate. Some think that they were um, on one side, they were just buying in. They were like, we need to, the one way that we can just stay safe is we can just kind of go along with this uh, this 
thing, this worship of the, the power, the Caesar. We can just kind of go along with that and say, oh yeah, we have a great, great country, a great, uh, a great legion here, and it's awesome. We can just go along with that. There are some who believe that. There are some over here who said, well, they just pandered and they thought, well, those gods that are up there in Artemis and all the other ones in the Greek pantheon, it's okay. They're not really gods, so we can just participate and it's okay. We'll just blend in with society. Whichever one you choose, Jesus says, no, those works are not good. You can love those people, but don't follow where they're going. It's okay to have boundaries, but if those boundaries do not have love, you have ceased to be the body of Christ. Who could even, while he was being nailed on a cross, pray, Father, forgive them about the ones who were killing him. That's our example, friends. I love what Dr. Scott Daniels says. The demonstration that we are children of God is not that we believe the right set of propositions, but that we embody the love of God in our relationships with one another. You may want to take that down. You may want to snap a picture of it, put it somewhere where you're going to read it several times this week, especially on your way to work, or especially if you drive on a busy freeway and somebody intentionally cuts you off all the time. You may need to read this over and over that the demonstration that you are a children of God, a child of God, is not that you believe the right set of propositions, but that we embody the love of God in our relationships with one another. Do you see where I'm going? we got to move on because it says there's some reward if we remember, repent, and redo. But there's also a chance of removal if we don't. Let's look at the reward first. Verse 7. He reminds them, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers or has victory, I'll give permission to eat from the tree of life That is in the paradise of God. Whenever I see a judgment or a blessing like this, I always think about this. These two words, prescriptive and descriptive. And I think that a lot of times when we see the judgments of God, when we see the blessings of God, we begin to see something that is prescriptive. That means Jesus is the initiator of it. He's prescribing it. Just like when you go to the doctor and you have an ailment of some sort and the doctor knows of a medication, the doctor writes something down and gives it to you and you go to the pharmacist, the pharmacist assembles it and then hands it to you. It's prescriptive. And so there's a part of this that says, Jesus, if you do these things, if you return to that first love of God and people, I will allow you to eat from the tree of life. In the paradise of God. But I think there's also something about that prescriptive that is also descriptive. That as you return to loving God and loving people, you return to the love you have at first. You remember, you repent, and you redo. Right then and right now, you begin to see the fruit of the tree of life. You begin to see the paradise of God. Just like at the end of Acts chapter 2, when the church was doing all of these things, it said they had favor with God and man. They, they had the goodwill of all the people. They began to see life change. They began to see thousands of people come to believe in Jesus. That is the paradise of God. That is seeing the fruits of the tree of life in the here and now and will be prescribed at a later date as well. You see where I'm going with this? Then we move on and we begin to see the removal. And here's where I want us to look because I think this is where the work is for us. The second part of verse 5. So after he said, remember... And repent and redo the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Again, let's think prescriptively and descriptively. He's saying, if you are just going to uh, live with loveless boundaries, and it's just going to be something that you hammer on others, if you're going to run out of the church to condemn somebody else who is just coming in to have pizza then I'm going to come and I'm going to take your lampstand away. 
Remember, the lampstand is is the church. I'm going to take away that thing that shines my light out into the world. Prescriptive. But I also think this is very descriptive. Because when you see a church that lives with loveless boundaries, it may take one, two, ten, fifteen years, but you begin to see that slowly but surely they stop resembling the Jesus they claim to serve. They stop looking like the body of Christ. The lampstand is gone. And it describes very well What is going on? If we don't have love, folks, our boundaries are meaningless and we cease being the body of Christ who died to show the love of God to others. Are you with me? This is tough words. But remember, it's unless you repent. This is a message of hope, not a message of horror. This is a call for us to remember in this season of Epiphany that we are called to be the body of Christ, to be the lampstand on which His light can shine out into the world. And unfortunately, folks, I have some pastoral concern for the church today because in all of the uncertainty of our world, just like the church in Ephesus, it's very human to want certainty. I get that. But folks, I'm worried that we're beginning to let our boundaries not be filled with love. And we're using them as a weapon to say who's in and who's out. And sometimes it's not even about Jesus stuff. Sometimes it's it's not an orthodoxy, it's like orthopolitics. And I don't care which side you vote for. You can hate the vote of someone else. You can hate the politics and what you think it's doing to the country. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you cannot hate the person who votes that way. You just can't. Because God loves that person. And Jesus died for that person. And I know that we're in a very uncertain time in our world, folks. But this is the time when we need the one who walks among the lampstands and holds all of the personality, the ethos of the whole church in his right hand. And he speaks to us in 2022 to Cross Community Church of the Nazarene and says, in the uncertain times, I am walking among you and I'm going to show you what it means to live as my body in 2022. But the first thing I have to say to you is, you know what you believe and it's great, but where's the love? And maybe today we are called as a body to look at the ethos of Cross Community Church and ask the question, where's the love? Have we sent it away in our hopes for certainty? Have we sent it away? So that I can know that I'm on the inside and they're on the outside. That I can know that I'm good and they're bad. Jesus is saying to all of us today, and even if you're on our online campus, Jesus is saying, remember, call to mind, call the feelings back, experience the love you had at first. Go and repent and turn towards me, but also turn towards someone else. And redo those things, the things you did at first. Yes, the worship service. Yes, the reading of Scripture. Yes, the study of theology and orthodoxy and all of those things. But also the love to feed those who are hungry. To to mourn with those who are mourning. To celebrate with those who are celebrating. To be a community of hope. To be a community that looks like the body of Jesus that you are called to be. Do you see why this might be a good series for Epiphany? The light bulb may need to come on for us, church. 
Again, Dr. Scott Daniels, being united by what we fear and what we hate is a poor substitute for being united in the love of Christ. Well, I'm done. We're left with that last statement. It says that the lampstand will be removed. Whether you think that's prescriptive or descriptive, it's okay. But the call is to turn. To return towards the one who walks among our lampstand. Who holds in his hand what church looks like. And is willing to show it to you and to me. Folks, can we ask ourselves this question? A couple weeks ago I started 5 to 6 at 5 to 6. To take 5 or 6 minutes at 5 minutes to 6. Whether you want to do AM or PM is up to you. But can you at 5 to 6 in the morning or in the evening right before dinner? Can you maybe spend five or six minutes with the one who walks among the lampstands and ask, oh God, where is the love? Can you spend five or six minutes remembering the love that you experienced from Jesus for the first time? Can you remember and experience what you felt when you see someone being helped out of the love of Christ. Can you take those five or six minutes at five to six and just spend that time with the one who walks among the lampstands and let him check your heart? Church, can we do this together? Because this isn't just about individuals. This is about looking at the ethos of who we are as cross-community church. Can we do this together? I pray that we can. Set a reminder right now on your clock, on your phone, on your Google calendar. At five minutes to six. God, I want to get up and spend those five or six minutes with you. Or God, right before dinner, I want to spend those five or six minutes with you. And I want you to wrestle with my heart. I want you to walk among the lampstands. I want you to show me the stars that you have in your hand. And I want to remember and repent and redo can we move in that direction, church? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that it's Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who loved us, the one who, even when he told a woman at a well all of her sins, There was such love that she could run back and bring other people because she wanted them to meet the man who had told her everything she'd ever done. Father, we have to confess that oftentimes your church, oftentimes cross-community church doesn't look like that. So God, we repent and we confess sometimes, many times we have sent away the love we had at first we have abandoned our first love so come and walk among our lampstand and show us show us your ethos, show us your right hand show us your body that we might live like that in 2022 in spite of all the uncertainties. Teach us how to have our boundaries with love. Boundaries that allow us to see people as people, people that you love, people that you died for, and somehow in loving them and helping them and serving them, we're showing our love to you. Help us, Father. pray that we would experience the joy of seeing that love return. That 
we would see you moving in and among us, that we would begin to see fruit from that tree of life, that we would begin to experience the paradise of God in the here and now in such a powerful way that nothing could take it away, not even death, when we step truly into the paradise of God. Help us, Father. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. Lead us through this series and change us to look like Jesus. Establish our lampstand as only you can that we might show your light to a dark world. For we pray and we ask all of these things in the name of the Father who is for us, in the name of the Son who is with us, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who is in us, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and receive this blessing? My friends, a tough message I pray you receive it as a message of hope not a message of horror I pray that you will take time to remember and experience the love I pray that yeah you'll this week will be filled with some repentance it's okay it's good that this week you will look for Ways that you can redo the love that you've experienced and the love that you've participated in showing out in the world. Do those things. And I pray that you will sense that Jesus is walking among you, showing you his grace and mercy, making his face smile upon you. And I pray all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Go in his name. Go in his peace. He walks with you today. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us online. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week. We would love to connect with you today for listening to our podcast. Please fill out a connect card on our website at c3nas.net. You can also support the ministries of Cross Community by giving online on our website.